Well, this is our, this is week two of the most wonderful time of the year. It really is. I love the season. Although we as Christians celebrate Jesus all year long, um, really our whole life is to be one long celebration of Jesus. But in this season, we particularly get to celebrate his birth. That there was a point in time when divinity himself, the very son of God, was born into human experience. And we have no concept, not really, that the one by whom and for whom all things were created, heaven and earth and galaxies and subatomic particles and oceans and you, and I, that the one around whom all of history and all of the universe revolves, that this one was once contained in the womb of a young teenager in a backwater hamlet and then in the body of a squalling, wrinkled infant. And even with the little that we are able to grasp of that reality and the knowledge that somehow God did that for our good, the word celebrate is the right word. We don't celebrate as much as we should because we don't grasp it all. But even with the little that we know, celebrate is the right word. And we do the right thing when we celebrate. A little later in our worship service this morning, we are going to celebrate, we say, communion as we remember Jesus' death. And there, nailed to a cross, a public spectacle, Jesus bore the judgment of God for our sins. And because of that, we don't have to bear the judgment of God for our sins. The wrath that we deserve for our sins, Jesus took in our place. And we then, through faith and by God's good grace, we get to bear Jesus' perfection. Sin is forgiven and there need be no barrier between us and God Ever. And here, too, as we remember that, celebrate is the right word. And it's not at all incongruent that we should, on the same day, in the same hour, celebrate the birth and the death of Jesus. We have done that already as we've sung together. And his birth and his death are, in a way, part of the same event. The manger lies in the shadow of the cross. In the manger lies the God who will die for our sins. On the cross is the one around whose manger we, we gather and worship. And around whose manger the shepherds gathered 30 years, um, 30 years before Jesus' death. And the celebration in both his birth and his death is that Jesus, the Son of God, came from heaven to earth to die for our sins. And these Sunday mornings, we are looking together at some of the Christmas carols that we sing and hear at this time of year, and paying attention to the deep truths of some of them concerning Jesus. And this week, we get to consider the carol, Joy to the World. And joy is, of course, the same kind of word as celebrate. Where there is no joy, there's no celebration. If you're celebrating something, there will be joy. 
And Joy to the World is probably one of the top two or three familiar Christmas carols. It is, in fact, so familiar that other than a vague knowledge of a vague knowledge that we are singing about the fact that Jesus is born, we probably don't pay much more attention to what is being said about Jesus and about what his coming signifies for us. At least that's true for me. Well, we're going to consider that today, and I hope that we never sing that song the same way again. Where did the hymn come from? In the year 1719, Isaac Watts, who, by the way, wrote 11 of the hymns in our hymnal, including When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Isaac Watts was inspired by Psalm 98, which in the King James Version reads from verse 4, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth, and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm, with trumpets and sound of a cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar, let the fullness thereof of the world roar, and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands, let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world and judge the people with equity. Psalm 98 98 is about the coming of the Lord to judge the earth. That is, with his perfect righteousness and fairness to set things right, to undo injustice. And when he comes, all of creation will erupt with joy. Heaven and nature will sing, as it were. And Isaac Watts took those words and around those ideas with looking back with the Christian truth that Jesus is this Lord, Isaac Watts then framed this carol. Um, Please take your hymnals and go to number 170. We're not going to sing it yet. We will, but not yet. It didn't strike me until I began looking at this hymn in preparation for this season that there's um, a picture of Jesus that emerges quite strongly. We've already sung about it. Does anybody know what it is? Jesus is... Somebody say king? If not, I'm putting the words in your mouth. King! Jesus is king. Joy to the world, the Lord, which is a ruling word, is come. Let earth receive her king. Verse 2, joy to the earth, the Savior, that is the one who has died for our sins, the Savior reigns. Verse 4, he rules the world with truth. And with grace. This is a song about the coming of the king. Of the one who is Lord over all things. Of the one in whose hand or under whose rule everything will be set right. His reign complete and perfect and good. So I just want to point out a few things that we see in this hymn. 
Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. The Gospel of John, which we normally don't go to at Christmas time, nonetheless frames the coming of Jesus into the world, but not from, not from earth's perspective, not with Joseph and Mary and angels and shepherds and wise men, but from God's perspective. And this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, distinct, and was God. Two persons, and yet fundamentally one. And in fact, three persons, because of the Holy Spirit. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse, down to verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. In verse 11, especially, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Uh, every once in a while, I throw a little bit of Greek grammar at you. I'm going to do that today as well. The Greek pronoun, he came to that which was his own, is a plural, neutral, or neuter pronoun. So you could say he came to uh, all things that were his own. But his own did not receive him. His own there is a plural Masculine, sorry guys, but includes everybody. His own people did not receive him. He came into all of his creation, all of, all of what came into being through his power, by his grace and by his will, and yet his own people, just us, did not receive him. Let earth receive her king, but let every heart, now this is us, let every heart prepare him room. We live very crowded lives, and maybe there's no more time that that is true than at Christmas. And I wonder what it would look like for, in my heart, to prepare some room for Jesus to come again. To pay attention to him to carve out a little bit of my energy and love and time and space for the king who has come. If Jesus came to my heart right now, would he find room to spend a little time? And I suspect that many of you are busy and busy in this season as well. And what might it look like for you to prepare some room for the king in this season. And you'll have to answer that yourself. I can't answer that for you. It might mean fewer appointments. It might mean fewer meetings. It might mean a little less time in front of the TV or a little less time shopping. Um, whatever, you, you decide. You decide. But what will it look like for you, for your heart, to prepare room for the king. Verse 2. Jesus' kingship 
And this is what the whole hymn is about. Jesus' kingship is cause for joy. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. That is, if, if we're going to sing, let's use our songs. Let's employ our songs to declare the joy of the coming of the King, to declare the joy of the reality that both our Savior is King and that our King is our Savior. I was going to ask for the song this week and didn't do it, and it ended up being the first one we sang anyway. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? You know what? First time I heard that song, I choked up. I, I do not know how my king could have died for me. You know, I've been a Christian for a very, very long time. I grew up in the church been a pastor for 12 years, spent seven years in Bible college and seminary. I still don't get it. I, I haven't got a clue. I really don't. How my king, and not just my king, but the king could die for me. I don't get it. I don't get it. But I do know that it's cause for joy. And if I'm going to employ my songs, there is no better thing that I could employ them for. No more, no greater thing to sing about, nor, no more noble thing to praise God for than that my king has died for me. And he's a good king, right? He's a good king. If, if my cruel dictator, well, he wouldn't die for me in the first place, but wouldn't want to live under the rule of a cruel dictator who was all about power, who was always angry, who needed things always for himself, and used us, his people, to create a cushy life for him. But Jesus is not a cruel dictator. He's a good king. He's a king who loves, a king who acts always in our best interest. And this king died on the cross so that I would not have to bear the wrath of God for my sins. It is truly amazing, amazing love, amazing grace. I don't get it, but I do know enough to know that it should evoke joy in my heart. Verse 3, and here you go to back to Psalm 98 and the idea there that under his reign all will be set right. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. How far is the curse found? How far is the curse found in your life? Are you experiencing pain or guilt? or illness, or aging, or conflict, or hurt at the expense of someone else? How much is your own life been touched by guilt? How far, does it, how far does the curse of sin flow in your life? Jesus comes, came, to make his blessings flow at least that far. This is one of the great verses in Scripture, though there are many. 
I hope I can find it. The end of Romans chapter 5. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The blessing, the healing, the good work that God has done in the world through Jesus Christ will go as far, at least as far as the curse is found. How far is the curse found in the world? How many people in the world are starving? How many are fighting with each other? How many are under the weight of oppression in some form or another? Slavery, persecution, the sex trade. How many are feeling the weight of a, uh, on the brink, global economic collapse? How far in the world is the curse found? Jesus' blessings are found flow at least that far. And he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Don't worry, I'm just trying to think of the, the way to phrase it, the way to say it. In case you thought something else was happening, it's not. Totally at a loss for words. Jesus' reign will come in perfect righteousness and truth, which means he will do it fairly, he will do it correctly, he will reign properly, but in grace and in love as well. That means that when he comes, and he He has come at Christmas, he will come again, and we live in this in-between time where what he has inaugurated in the kingdom of God will be brought to completion when he comes again, and there's forward motion in the reversing of the curse of the world. But when he comes again, no more will there be children crying out for lack of food. No more will there be nations making war with each other. No more will there be the cry of the victim suffering injustice and being unheard. Jesus comes. Jesus the King will come and under his reign all things will be set right. Revelation chapter 21. At his return, let there be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. That is what we sing about when we sing joy to the world. Hymn number 196, another Christmas carol, one of my favorites. The middle verse of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. The middle verse says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Yet pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's what we sing about at Christmas. 
That's why there is joy in the coming of this child, this baby, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Verse 4. I've already talked about it a little bit, but I love the second bit. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. At some point in history, when the king comes again, the very nations of the world are going to be a theater that demonstrate that Christ's reign is perfect, that his righteousness is glorious, and that his love is wondrous. We tend to think of our um, interaction with Jesus, our faith, on kind of an individual level. And I am so very thankful that Jesus is my king and died for me. But you know what? Someday the whole earth, all the nations of the world, I need to move that further away. That's the second thing that's fallen off that stand this morning. All the nations of the world will be evidence, proof, of the glorious righteousness of the reign of Jesus and the wondrous love of the king who is good. Isn't that amazing? You ever sing through a Christmas carol and like notice the words and the phrases? We're going to sing this when we close our service a little bit later. But I want you to notice the kingship of Jesus, his goodness, his perfect reign, and the reversing of all that is wrong and has gone wrong in your life and in the world. That's why we sing. That's why Jesus' birth is celebrated. That's why Jesus' death is celebrated. It's a great thing. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a phrase that we throw out pretty easily. But it does seem odd that Lord and Savior can be spoken in the same breath. It is amazing that you, our King, would die for us. So we celebrate and we are filled with joy. Thank you, Jesus, for your coming for us. We do anticipate your coming again for us. And please remind us in this season, many times, of your kingship. And please evoke in us a response of great joy. Even this morning, even around this table now, evoke a response of joy in us. For we are so thankful for you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.